Juggling Podcast number 45, Matt Hall joins Luke to talk about workshops. Welcome to Juggling Podcast 45. My name is Luke Burridge and I'm a juggler and this week I'm joined by another juggler called Matt Hall for an interview and discussion um, about workshops that were recorded a few weeks ago at the Scottish Juggling Convention. Uh, Paula Brendler, not here this week again. Last week she was um, working and I was at home and this week I'm working and Paula is at home. Maybe you can hear in the background some, uh, some waves. Because I'm on the South Atlantic at the moment, I've uh, got a, a job, my first ever solo cruise ship gig. I've always performed with the Polar before whenever I've gone to a cruise ship, and this time I'm doing it by myself. Um, last Friday, I, I got a call and confirmed a future gig for uh, for about a month's time in the well in March anyway, next month a gig, and then um, and then I got another call to on Saturday, and they said, "Do you want to go and do something really quickly?" And I said, "Okay." So I confirmed the big gig on Sunday and got a contract through on Monday and got some flight information through as well. And on Monday, a few days ago, I was already on the plane. I went down to Montevideo somewhere. Uh, I've been to four times now. This is my fifth time to Montevideo. And currently, uh, the ship that I'm on, called the Prince and Dam, is steaming uh, north up the coast of Brazil, just past 26 and a half degrees south. So just entering uh, the tropics. Here we are. It's my first time over in the tropics, and the weather is fantastic. And I've got a really good cabin on the ship as well. I don't know how they managed to mess up and give me a really nice cabin. It's got a, it's got a balcony and everything. So I'm just sitting with uh, this large doors open onto my own private balcony on this cruise ship. Normally, I'm in a, in a cabin, not stuck on the inside of the ship with no window or at the front of the ship right next to the anchor so every morning when the anchor's going in and out it goes clunk 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 and bashes around a bit other times I've got a, a, a sh- uh, like a, a window that looks directly out onto a um, like a nothing kind of just straight out onto a wall or out onto some steps or out onto like a lifeboat that's often a, uh, often one of the, the rooms that Paul and I get and now I've got this really nice room it's really nice I've got a bath and everything walk-in wardrobe um, like I say I think they messed up a bit or they ran out of um, downstairs cabins and I've been put up um, on ninth deck so uh, yeah it's a really cool gig the, the stage that man actually this evening I'm doing a show this evening it's one of the lowest ceilings ever and I've got to say if you ever put in together a show that you're going to perform anywhere except at maybe a juggling convention because they have shows and venues set aside for jugglers most other venues aren't set up for jugglers so the light's always going to be in your eyes and the stage is always going to be too small and um, there's not going to be the right equipment that you need to use and everything like that and normally the ceiling is lower than you expect um, thankfully I, uh, I actually checked beforehand online I, I went to the Princeton Dam or the Holland and America line website and checked out the, the deck plan and some photos of the Queensland where I'm going to be performing. So I knew I was going to have a, a low stage or a low ceiling above the stage. Uh, I didn't realise it was going to be quite that low though, so I'm going to do quite a bit of it on the, on the dance floor. There's some dance floor in front of the stage. Um, but I knew already, so I didn't bring a lot of clubs. I only bought three clubs, but it's, it's high enough for seven balls, so I'll be doing that kind of stuff. So uh, that's this evening show. I'll be doing two 45-minute solo shows. Should be quite interesting. Oh, and tomorrow... It being Friday, um, we won't have a day at sea like today. We'll be arriving in Rio de Janeiro about 6 o'clock in the morning, so I'm going to get up early and check out the view going into Rio. Really looking forward to that. And, uh, and when I'm in Rio, I'll go into an internet cafe and upload this podcast. So, uh, so you'll get to hear it on Friday, or maybe Saturday, because, you know, a bit different times from Europe. I don't know where you're going to be listening to this. So that's it, really. 
so that's my latest news. Next time I'd, uh, we'll do another another podcast. Hopefully, I'll be with Polar. Or if not, I'm going to actually see if I can do a podcast about juggling in Brazil or Rio de Janeiro. Thing is, when Polar and I tried to do that in Buenos Aires in Argentina, it didn't work out at all. Couldn't find anyone. I uh, went to a juggling club and lo- saw lots of jugglers. Couldn't find anyone who could speak English or who stuck around long enough to do a um, podcast about anything like that. So I looked up on the internet juggling database uh, any juggling kind of things in. Uh, in Rio de Janeiro, I found a juggling club, but it only meets on Mondays, and I'm going to be there on Friday and Saturday. Um, but I did find two juggling shops in Rio de Janeiro, and they're quite close to each other and quite central as well. So I could probably walk there from the port or just get a taxi there quite easy. So I'm going to go there and check out the juggling shops in, in Brazil, maybe see if I can uh, buy some cool uh, South American juggling equipment. I, I would take the uh, I would take something to record the the podcast with but at the moment i don't have a mini disc play, uh, recorder and player um i've only got the laptop and i don't want to take a laptop into rio de janeiro because of all the places i've been to this is the one place where everyone says it's not worth taking anything expensive and keep good hold of everything so i'm not going to take the laptop into rio so maybe i'll just have the little um mp3 player that i've got which has also got a dictaphone on so i'll record some thoughts about juggling in rio if i see any juggling in rio it might not work but i'll give it a go so that's my news and what I might be doing in the future. Um, so let's just get straight on to today's topic, which is workshops. And I had a real special guest, a good friend of mine, Matt Hall. Hopefully you enjoyed the interview and the talk that we did last week about um, get, being invited to juggling conventions. And one of the few things that we mentioned that you should be able to do is perform. We talked a lot about performing on this uh, podcast and about hosting a show so so i've already done a whole workshop about how to host a show running games done a workshop about this what i haven't done a workshop on is uh, workshops themselves on the on the podcast here so uh, that's the topic that we're going to be discussing in just a few minutes first of all how to get stuff out of workshops and then how to run workshops plus some funny stories about it and things like that so without any further ado let's just go straight to this interview that i recorded with matt hall Joining me now is Matt Hall. Hi, Matt. Hi, Luke. How are you doing? Uh, and this is going to be um, a, an interesting workshop about workshops, yeah? Yeah, yeah. I, I think you, as are an expert at workshops, I've certainly done a few. Well, actually, I was going to say that to you. I've done a few workshops, but you're the expert. You're the one who gets invited to lots of conventions to teach workshops and stuff. I do as well, but I think you, when I turn up to a convention, I teach maybe one or two workshops, and you teach maybe seven or eight workshops. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty keen on it. I like it. And the reason I'm able to do that, I guess, is because I like doing different props. I like doing cigar boxes or bounce or kendama even. Now, now kendama, there's a workshop in the waiting every time. Cool. So let's get into it, actually, because to be honest, like I said, you're the expert on this. I want you to do most of the most of the talking on this one. I'll I'll pop in some comments, but if you can, you've got some notes here. You sent me these notes beforehand, so uh, let's run through some of these stuff and uh, we'll discuss workshops. First of all, what you can get out of workshops, really. Well, I remember going to my first workshop in 1998, and it was Multiplex Dan from Chicago teaching multiplexes, basically just how to do basic four-ball and five-ball multiplexes. And at that point, I was just trying to learn five-ball cascade. So when he taught me three different ways to juggle five balls in in multiplex patterns, I was like, hey, I'm a five-ball juggler now. Yeah, it's super, isn't it? It's like you're trying to do five balls, it's too difficult, but like you, you make a mistake. You can just drop into a multiplex pattern. It's like you don't have to drop. It's all there, isn't it? Yeah, it was great. So from that day forward, I was like, all right, workshops are cool, man. I'm going to do this as soon as I have something to share, I guess. Yeah. That's cool. So 
tell us about some of your favorite workshops, and I'll maybe share some stories of mine too. Great. I think my first really good workshop besides Multiplex Dan, he was, that was my first workshop ever, but the one that really blew me away was Jay Gilligan at the same festival in 1998. I knew who he was. He was already a known quantity in the juggling world, and he taught a four-ball workshop. And at the time, I remember him showing like 6-3-3 or a four-ball box, the extended one. I didn't even know what the site – I didn't know what site swaps were, so I'm just watching him do these tricks going, wow, man, I got to do that. And then I remember somebody raising their hand going, hey, Jay, can you do four-ball Mills mess? And he's like, uh, no, I didn't pack that, ba- that trick in my bag today. And, and, I, and I was like, oh, I was crushed because that was one of the tricks I wanted because it was in the Charlie Dancy book. And I was like, oh, I don't know how to do it. I can do three-ball mills, but what the heck is four-ball mills? I'm surely Jay can do it. It's Jay, you know. But he taught me so many other things that day that I was like, awesome. This is a great workshop. And another one I would say was definitely the uh, Mad French Posse's workshop at the WJF in 2004. It was the first WJF. Jason got all the Mad French Posse to come on over and – I mean, they taught one on three Diablos high. They taught one on three Diablos low. They taught one on one Diablo improvisation where, where Eric and Atonan basically battled each other with how long they could keep the Diablo going in trick sequences without adding any spin. And they, we timed it. It was like a minute and a half. And this was without repeating any tricks as well? Without repeating any tricks and without adding any, with any ex- of the regular acceleration we associate with yeah. Diablo routines. They freestyled for a minute and a half. And then both just looked at each other and said, is that is enough. You think you understand the concept now? And and everybody, you know, it's all Americans, right, at the WGF, and they're just like, oh, wow. It was crazy. It was awesome. Yeah, some of my favorite workshops early on. I never actually went to that many workshops to begin with, but uh, one of the, one of the most impressive ones that I went to, I can that I can remember is. Um, Actually, Luke Wilson and uh, and Ben Richter as well. They did this thing that they called the um, Encyclopedia of Contemporary Club Juggling. It was going to be a website, and they're going to put it all together. But really, what it was was just them showing how they break down the uh, break down three club juggling and, um, and how to manipulate it and traps and high throws and and all these different kind of stuff. And I really was really so inspired about this uh, three club workshop and their the upcoming website project would never happened actually but I went away yeah I actually went away and, and made my own I wrote up all my own notes on ring juggling because I was doing quite a bit of ring juggling at the time with these fat rings and um, bouncing rings and color changing rings and lots of different stuff so I wrote that up into sort of like the creative three ring or creative ring juggling workshop that I posted online and it's still amazing to this day of actually how many people have read that and come back and and told me that that's been a, an influence on them and they were coming up with the tricks from there because there's not a lot of ring juggling stuff so that was a very very inspiring workshop I think that must have been London convention maybe 2001 or 2002 that was the first time when I went to a, uh, a workshop and thought no these guys are really putting a lot of thought into this and it wasn't just here's a trick and here's another trick and it wasn't a lot of practical stuff it was mainly just seeing how they explore ju- club juggling and how by categorizing club juggling into different ways they could like push the push the bounds further back you know of, of, of different ways and combining the different categories of tricks really really enjoyed that one you got another a few more favorite workshops yeah i got a couple more uh luke wilson again his three club workshop on spin spin control and different spin tricks like with oh shits and reverse oh shits at ejc in 2003 at spinborg man there were like 300 people in that workshop and i was i couldn't do clubs that much i was starting clubs a little bit and five minutes in i knew i was over my head but i just hung in there and watched all these tricks and now you know five years later i can do a couple more. Yeah. <laughs> like three more of Luke Wilson's wrong end catching tricks. Yeah, 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 just one half spin, flat, no flat. Oh, shit. Reverse, oh, shit. Spin, you know, and I just... 
but it's great stuff. I love it. And he always teaches really good workshop. He's very methodical in the way he teaches, and that's cool. Donald Grant's Master Diablo class at the IJ Montreal 2000. That was my first IJ Fest. He taught tricks there I still can't do. I mean, the guy was a master, and, and he was such a great... He, he just turned up here, actually, at this convention. I just saw him in the gym. Yeah, he's here. I saw him. I, I mean, he's the master, and I read his books. I learned everything I could from his books, and then to take a class with him. And he just approaches the task with such exuberance and such joy, and that's a good thing. I, it's nice to see your teacher enjoying himself in the workshop and having fun. Not, it's not too serious. And he bet us all. He's like, I made up this trick, but I can't do it yet. So I'll show you what I think it's going to be, and... What, how you might be able to do it. And if anybody gets it, I'll buy you a beer. He doesn't speak, to speak with that accent, though. Talking about um, enthusiastic worship teachers, doing a workshop with um, Sean Gandini is always, always a big experience because he's so... Wait a second, don't scroll down that far. Look, you missed one off there. Right. Wait a second. Yeah, anyway, but Sean Gandini is amazing because he's got so many ideas and he's always like, oh, and before we do this, we're going to have a five-ball um, uh, endurance at the beginning here. And so we'll just do this, yeah, and we'll go here. And, and if you do this, and you will go... And it's like, oh, and oh look, and he's just all over the place. Again, not quite in that accent, but... Um, you know the enthusiasm. The enthusiasm comes through. Anyway, I just you scrolled down past this one. Look at this. Forgive me. I got it. I got. It. I got two more. Actually, I got two more. Uh, the first being uh, Masahiro Mizuno's workshop on kendama at Portland in 2000. Because that was the first time I'd ever studied kendama. I was his translator for the entire workshop, and at the end of it, he gave me my first kendama. So I owe him a lot. Dum dum dum. And yes, last but not least, uh, your workshop uh, on comparing at BJC 2006 in Cornwall, Bodmin was really a good one for me because you do a lot of things that I think are good for an MC. I think I do some of those same things, but you actually articulated it and said, this is what it means to be an MC. And, and, and it's nice to see it put into black and white concepts that you can kind of say, okay, let's classify this and let's organize it. And this is what your job is. This is your job description as an MC. And then what was even better is because I was MCing the gala show, you know, I got feedback immediately from the teacher. Yeah, because I was in—I was actually in that show. No, and the first show, the first show was good. I mean, I was it was stiff. good. I was—I was stiff. I was really nervous. I was—the show was running. Remember the tech? The tech lasted ten hours, yeah. and I was just—I wasn't ready for that first show. No, what happened was that I actually said in my in the workshop, and this is—you can go back actually if you listen. It's quite a long podcast, but podcast number two is my how to host a show workshop. And one of the main things was is don't be a character because you can't be enthusiastic if you're then trying to be a character. I mean, of course, if you've got a well-developed character and you've hosted a few shows, you can go into it. But if you're not an experienced show host, don't try and do it in a character which isn't your own. And Matt Hall gets up there and he plays the part of a school teacher. But I know Matt's a school teacher. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to do this workshop about workshops. Um, but he wasn't playing himself as a school teacher. He was playing sort of like a, a headmaster, like, sit down now, children, and do this. And I know Matt, and even if I went into a, his school and I sat down in his class, that isn't the kind of teacher Matt is. So in the, end, in the second show, I just said, get out there and do the cool cigar box routine at the beginning and make people clap for you and, and go for it. And, and that's what you did. And the second show was just so much more fluid. Everyone was with you from the beginning. Yeah, well, I remember you and Andy came back and kind of... It was like the mafia family coming to tell, we're sorry, Sal. No, that's not going to work. And then, so remember, I, instead I, I put the headband back on. Yeah. When I, it's like, take... Take the glasses off. Don't, I mean, the suit. You had a suit on or something? I yeah. The suit on. I get yeah. the suit on. But it's just like, put your headband on. You're known for your wearing a, 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 you know, your bandana and just get out there and rip. And yeah. you did. And it was great. Eight o'clock, the second show was redemption. And I was very happy. And so that was, yeah, that's why that workshop was good for me. Because I was using things yeah. even, even on stage. And that's yeah. really good. Any good workshop leaves you with something that you can use or play with pretty much immediately. Yeah. 
Okay, so let's uh, let's see because you can get stuff out of workshops. And um, actually, I wanted to say a bit about this because um, Matt's got his stuff. He's got all his notes written down here on um, on uh, on the old uh, laptop here. I have notebooks. Check these out, Matt. Can you just just hold this a second? Gotcha. So what I have here is, is one thing. Oh, this is a new one. But I have like how is this uh, five? Five, six, six books here in front of me, A4 books, and each of them have got about 30 or 40 pages in them or something like that. And I keep track of, of all of the ideas that I have about juggling all the time. And when I'm hosting shows, it all goes into these books and everything's, um, everything's kept there. And if I'm teaching a workshop, I put the notes all into these same books. And when I'm learning from a workshop as well, I put all of the stuff right here. So uh, I'm just I'm not even sure what I've got here. Uh, I don't know. got all the notes at the beginning. Matt's giggling here because <laughs> I, I do the same thing yeah. I don't have a little yeah. these, these are kind of flimsy notebooks yeah, man yeah, gonna, I know but I because water no because I yeah they last a long time so here's something that I'd got from uh, doing workshops with uh, um, who was like no so, no it wasn't it wasn't Demi Pommier it was um, Emiliano um, Emiliano and his, his space things as well oh, Emiliano Sanchez where I went into here as well like there's some different bits and pieces uh, oh, I can't remember. There was, I was going to show you some stuff from a Victor Key workshop I did. I got like eight pages. Look at this. This is one of the pages from the Victor Key workshop. <laughs> yeah, they can hear the whistling. <laughs> but it's literally from day one, and I'm writing down all of the stuff. And then at the end of the workshop, because this was like a three-day workshop, a four-day workshop, it's really difficult to just to keep, to keep everything in mind. So I really do recommend that if you're going to a workshop, maybe not just an hour workshop, but if it's one that lasts more than an hour, there's no way you're going to be able to remember all of it. So don't just make sh notes if you're going to be teaching a workshop. But also um, make notes of all the key points as they're going through. So in in one day, um, from a, a Victor Key workshop, I guess there's 30, 30, no, 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 40, 40, 43 notes here from things. You know, it was all about the aesthetics of juggling, how to make juggling look good. So it starts, he started off with one ball. So I was just saying, like, it, it, just the first thing, if you throw to the other side of your face, and he was like, just the first thing that he said, okay, Here's what I want you to do. I want you to throw the ball from hand to hand, but I want you to throw it with a lot of scoop and make it travel sideways a lot. And we're thinking, why is this? And, you know, there's me and Jay Gilligan in this workshop looking at each other. What is this for? So he asked, what's this for? And he says, oh, if you have a wide pattern with three balls, the balls are never in front of your face because you're throwing p out past your face. So more people can see you, you know, and you can still have a high pattern, but if it's wide, more people, when they're looking straight on, can see your face. And it's just like, oh, it's amazing. And so I just wrote that down, of course. And then at the end of the day, even like three days later, I could go back through. And I learnt everything that I'd learnt in the workshop, and I could go through and learn it all again. And then another week later, I went through the same workshop notes because I sort of like had about me 40 or 50 points from each day of the workshop. And I could go through and I could learn it all again, you know, because by looking at this note, just saying here, um, uh, when he just, just one thing here, uh, 30. Point thirty mistake. Need to relax. Go into three balls. And this is actually something I just mentioned before as well. When you're doing five balls and you make a mistake with five balls, don't stop juggling. Collect two balls in each hand and go into three balls. And actually, by watching Victor Key do this and writing it down, that's now what I do. It's a big part of my five-ball routine. Is that I, I flick it up and I go down into three balls, and it's a time to relax. And instead of having five balls high all the time, I can keep the energy of the juggling going. But because I'm just doing three balls, even though I've got five balls, I can look at the audience and keep connected with them. And there's no way that you're going to remember all of these points, and there's no way you can apply all of the points that you learn in a workshop unless you write down some notes. And also in these notebooks, as you see, I, I list all the pages that are on, and I can uh, and I can flick straight through to um, some of the some of the uh, stuff that I do. Anyway. It's a, yeah, I have to, I have to do it because I've got like these. These are just six that I've, I've had over the past few years. I was going to do this. I, I bring these along to conventions as well because um, I uh, uh, do 
well, what's this? So I, I put down lots of notes about different things, but if they suddenly say, um, can you teach a workshop? I, I've, if I've got one of these books, I can often just look back at the notes. Of course, you've got your laptop here and stuff, but I, I find notebooks easier to scribble things down within in workshops. So that's what I'd recommend if you're going along to a workshop, certainly if it's more than an hour long. So yeah, sure. I've, got, I've got a notebook that when I'm a, a student in a workshop, yeah. I've got my notebook with a pen. I mean, invariably. And, and if you, you want to be an active learner, just like yeah. we ask students to be active listeners, take notes, highlight things when they're learning from a textbook or something, you want to be an active learner in a juggling workshop. So I do that. And then when I get those notes, I, trans, I put them in my computer, I retype them out. Or I've got, but I've got my notebook, and it's in my juggling bag. It never leaves my juggling bag. Yeah, this is important. Other people, they come along and say, oh, do you mind if I film your workshop? And it's like, you're never going to watch this back. Because to watch back an hour-long workshop takes an hour. And nobody has an hour of their time to watch back through a workshop. Maybe they're not going to take an exact hour. Um, but it, it, does take, it does take a long time to do that. But if you write down notes, it doesn't take an hour. Because I can go through a whole day of workshop notes there from, with that Victor Key workshop. And I can read through them all within maybe three minutes and think about them all you know, ten, take 10 minutes to think about them all. And then when I'm putting together a new routine or I'm practicing some of the ball juggling, because that's what Victor Key was all about, ball juggling, I can go back and uh, really, really enjoy that. So the Victor Key workshop for me was definitely one of my favorites. Also, this was in the catacombs. These are longer, de longer workshops. So the one with Donald Grant, absolutely fantastic. I applied so much of that w workshop to my, uh, to my one Diablo routine. And even now, you could, you could look at it and say, oh, there's similarities between my Diablo routine and, and Donald Grant's it. It, it makes it, you know, a real professional routine, and I'm happy to get up on stage now. And when I do these longer shows, it doesn't matter what I'm doing. If I open with the Diablo routine, I know it's going to go down really well, and it's, and it's reliable now. And it's because I went to this, these workshops as well. Sergey Yintov workshop as well at the Catacomb, really good too. Anyway, let's go back to Matt. You've got some notes here as well. Let's go through some more of your notes rather than mine. Okay. Yeah, once again, if I'm going to be a guest in a workshop, then I want to learn a lot. If I'm going to teach a workshop, then I want my students to learn a lot. Yeah. And having been a teacher, I mean, my, I approached the task in the beginning, yeah. not at, because I wasn't a teacher always, but I was teaching workshops before I became a high school teacher. And I would just kind of do like what I saw everybody else do, list tricks, help people out, give them a chance to practice, that kind of thing, right? Yeah. And, but then when I became a teacher, I said, okay, you know, prior planning prevents failure you know, or improves performance. And so I want to at least have an idea or a general structure or outline of what I would like to do, what I'd like them to learn. Or I think what we call backwards planning. You figure out what you want them to learn, and then you figure out how to get there, and you go from the goal to the beginning. So let's just go back a bit. So when you first started off t teaching workshops, how would you teach the workshop? Let's go back in, uh, to there, right at the very beginning. How would you do it? What would your workshop be? One of my first workshops was a Diablo workshop, and I would teach them accelerations yeah. just to start, yeah. and then tricks. Uh, and, and it would kind of be random. And then a little bit later, it, it branched out or evolved into, okay, accelerations, then families of tricks, yeah. like Let's, let's look at grinds and just play with grind, different grinds that I knew, and I would teach them the grinds I knew. Uh, let's look at suicides and stick releases. And that's still kind of what I do with the, some of those basic workshops. But now with the more advanced workshops, I definitely want to pick certain tricks or certain ideas behind what they want to do. Like my multiplex workshop today for four or five and six balls, first I wanted them to just know the, the concept of multiplexing and the variations. There's so many variations in multiplexing. And then how you could uh, ex explain it to... You know, or not explain it, but how can they break it down so that they can learn any trick they want that involves multiplexing as long as they know the fundamentals. So if anything, I've gone for a less is more approach to some degree. 
So you, uh, now you've gone to the point where you teach them like the concept behind the trick, and then you sh do you actually teach them the variations, or can you just show them the variations, and hopefully they'd have picked it up so they can just they know sort of what's what to do with that? Is that what you're saying with the multiplex and things? Yes, sometimes it depends also on your students, right? You, you, you take a look at the group, you t maybe teach them one trick to see who's got what skill level, and then you make your decision there on the fly of, okay, they're really high, high level, so I may give them more tricks to actually do. Or they're lower level skills, so I want to just teach them the concepts and then demonstrate the tricks so they can try them later at their own, you know, leisure. So go into more detail actually about how you plan a workshop now and, and what kind of things you think about when you're, when you're doing the workshop. Well, still, I'm still thinking, wow, I, wanna, I want to, them to learn tricks. It used to be back in the old days that I was more impressed. I wanted to show them. Oh, you wanted to do the teaching, and you didn't actually mind if people didn't actually learn. You just wanted to teach. I, I kind of wanted, wanted to show, hey, these are the tricks I can do, and maybe you can do them, maybe you can't, but at least these are the tricks I can do. And, and that was back in the day. And, and now it's more really, it's all about who walks out with how many tricks, and that's fine. I've had cigar box workshops with Brian Godomsky and Jeff Damon, all these great people, and it's more like a jam session. It's not like I'm teaching them anything. And I, and I love those workshops where you can invent stuff. on the Like I make, make up tricks because a student will say, well, what about this? Is it even possible? I, I just tried it. It didn't work. And I go, wait a minute. That's a great idea. A mistake is a way to try something new. Now I'm the last or one of the evolutions I've done is – now I want to, for those people who are not active learners or people who don't write down notes like you or I do in notebooks, I want to offer a handout that at least gives them the structure and goes over some of the tricks they might have learned. That way they can take it away with it, something tangible that maybe they learned a trick, great. But maybe there were five tricks I did and they don't remember the other four. Well, it's on the piece of paper. You can try them later. Yeah. I, I just came with just to the start of your Kandama workshop today. You and Void were doing it as well. And I was really surprised to see sort of like a really nice printed photocopied sheet there as well because it's, it's just nothing that you see normally at conventions in Europe. It's very, very rare to, to have printed handouts here. Um, so you're a, a professional. What is your profession? You're a teacher, aren't you? I, I teach high school. I teach Japanese to high school kids. So is there any way that you bring in your like, professional expertise at teaching young people how to speak Japanese? And can you sort of use the crossover skills to teaching juggling better? I think the vocabulary that we use to describe the act of teaching is what I bring to my teaching of a juggling workshop. A lot of what we do in a juggling workshop is what we do as teachers in a regular classroom. It just there's a language for it in the educational world, and in juggling we just say, "Oh, I just teach it," or let's break it down. We say like break it down, but in the, in the educational world we refer to what is called scaffolding, a scaffolding like on an outside of a building. You build a building level by level, floor by floor, and you have scaffolding on the outside to keep the building, and so you can get up into higher levels. Similarly, if you got a trick, any trick, you have to keep it in its simplest components and make sure that they can do those components before they move up to the next level. That's cool. That is the scaffolding. On the outside, it's sort of like, okay, we're gonna, I'm going to show you how to get up that level, which is the scaffolding, and then they sort of build their skills up alongside it. Exactly. Uh, backward design. We know the goal. In juggling, we always know the goal. It's the trick. But to get to that trick, you have to go backwards and say, okay, what do you need to do to get to that trick? So backward design, scaffolding, and I guess last but not least is a term we use in education called the zone of proximal development. Break that down. It was developed by a guy named Vygotsky, and the zone of proximal development is essentially where the learner can do the task to a certain degree, but needs assistance to do the task, which is what we're doing in a workshop. We're showing them the trick, and immediately they can see what they need to do, and some of them will try it and get close or pull it off or maybe have, be, have no idea what, how to do it. Well, that's 
our chance as teachers, as educators, as workshop leaders to say, you're throwing too high. Hey, I saw your multiplex. It, you need to split more. Uh, here, let me hold your hand and show you, okay, it's one ball, then two balls. I, I was actually holding the balls in the air, just saying, okay, you're going to have this multiplex in the air, and it's going to look like this in front of you in the air. Here's that ball. Here's that ball. What do you do next? And they'll say, well, I throw this low ball from my right hand. Exactly. And then I drop the balls into their hands, and, and he goes, oh, look, now the multiplex is in the right hand. Yeah. Exactly. So that's, right now that student's in the zone of proximal development. The next step is to get them out of that to the zone of self-reliance and self-regulation where they're basically judging themselves. How? Oh, yeah, okay, I, I threw that ball too high. Yeah. I got it. And they then know how to learn. They then know that, okay, I know what's going on, and they understand it all. It's now just practice, and they don't need you for the practice. Right. Uh, in educational terms, we refer to metacognition, thinking about how you think. Yeah. And we're kind of meta-juggling, thinking about... You're thinking of what you're doing when you're juggling. Well, I was thinking this, and I, did, and I threw the ball like that. Okay, I can't do that. I've got to do something else. So those are the kind of things that I use in, the, in a workshop almost all the time now. I'm really thinking about how can I help this student and keep them engaged and not bored, because if they're bored, that means they're already past the zone of self-regulation. They're just kind of doing their own thing. Let's go back to the actual workshop. When you set up a workshop, um, what's the first kind of thing that you would say to people? And, and how many people do you actually want in your workshop? Do you ever like limit the numbers and things? I, I don't limit the numbers. I want to teach as many people as possible. But, but like I say, when you give people, have to give people uh, like personal time to say, oh, do this, do that. Do you like set people up and then give them then time to uh, work on the trick and then you go round and then you get back? I mean, just sort of like the structure of the workshop. What kind of things do you do? Certainly. Like for today, example, for example with the multiplex workshop, I had, I had a fairly num large number of people, probably like 30, 30, about 30. So I would explain the trick, break it down for them, have them try it a couple times, just the, the, the minimal pieces of the trick. And then I say, all right, let's stand up now. We were sitting down and trying the basic multiplex throw, just the multiplex throw with two balls. Now let's try it, stand up and try it with three balls. Now, here's the real trick with actual four balls. Let's try it, and on the right side, U5, U6, I'm going to talk to you guys and, and help you guys. And if I have time, if anybody on the left side needs help, just raise your hand, I'll come over to you. But I want to talk to these guys first. And then the next time, I'll go to the left first and look to the right. Also, at the start of every workshop, I usually tell them, look, one, I'm going to go very fast, so stop me at any moment if you don't understand something or want to ask a question. There's no stupid questions. Please just stop me. I have no problem with slowing down or saying something again. Two, always ask for help. You know, raise your, you know, raise your hand, you know, and especially in a big group when there's 60 people or 100 people, these big EJC workshops, you're not going to get any attention from the teacher unless you make it known that you need assistance. And so I tell them, look, squeaky wheel gets the grease. Be loud, raise your hand. I'm cool with that. I, I don't take offense. Just go. Yeah, there's one other thing that I'd like to add to this is really about the structure. I, whenever I start a workshop, well, it depends what kind of workshop. Sometimes it's more of a, like a lecture or like a, um, I, well, I just talk. Other times it's more practical, so I want to get lots of people to join in. But other times, especially when there's, uh, what? Do you need to go? I'm sorry. Just, the show is going to start in 20 minutes. So. Oh, okay. Let's quickly let's wrap this up. Sorry about this. I didn't realize it was, uh, it was that late already. I it was 6.30, but I think it's like 6, actually. Okay. So, uh, yeah. What was I saying? Yeah. So, sometimes I, I like getting lots of people joining in. I like sort of like the workshop workshop where it's like a yeah. like studio thing. They really get into it. Um, also, what I, uh, I like to say at the beginning of the workshops that I do, uh, especially like with the two-ball workshop or the patterns workshop, I say, okay, it's going to start very easy. 
And then it's going to get very hard because I'm going to explore one theme or one idea really quite extensively up until nobody's going to be able to do it and it's just going to be me demonstrating a trick. I said, but don't go away because within the next three or four minutes, I'm going to take it back very easy again. And then I show them another easy concept and then quickly go through. So it means that it doesn't matter if someone gets left behind. They can just work on the point that they're up to and other people can, and other people can find their own level. But it doesn't matter because they're only going to be waiting there for like three or four minutes before I go back and do another thing. So that's something to think about. Don't just start off your workshop and do easy stuff and then get harder and then harder and harder and harder. But always bring it back to some other easy stuff for the people who aren't of the high expert level at multiplex juggling. They can, they, you can say, okay, this multiplex and then teach variations on that and then go, oh, and now there's another kind of multiplex. So maybe you've got a comment about that? Yeah, I, I do the exact same thing actually with the multiplex workshop or with uh, bounce juggling workshop. I often do. I'll say, hey, here's the basic trick or here's the concept. Here's, here's a way you could do it with three balls. Here's a way you could do it with four balls. Yeah. Oh, oh, I see some guys over here on the left got, already got it with four balls. Here's the five ball version. Yeah. And work on what you want to get out of it because in, in any learning situation, there is what we call heterogeneous skill set grouping. This is more teacher jargon. Yeah, jargon. Basically, you're going to have people, people with different levels of skill. And you want each of them to get, and get something out of it at the same time. So, yeah, you offer, something, you offer variation up for the hard medium and easy. Yeah, I would say as well, if you've got a large group, it's almost worth saying to them, like, who here doesn't know this skill at all? And, and say to the other people, come back in half an hour and I'll teach the advanced section. I've, I've done this before with, um, with one thing. I was doing uh, like a Mills Mess variations workshop and, uh, and people came along and I said, so everyone here can do Mills Mess and like half of the people could and they wanted to know the variations and other people couldn't, although they could, although maybe could just do it roughly with three balls or they can just about juggle with their arms crossed. So I said, okay, the people who want to do the advanced stuff, hang out if you want, but 15 minutes, come back. And so I taught the other people Mill's mess, and then I said, okay, it's the, the second half of the workshop is going to be a bit more difficult, but see if you can keep up. And I do recommend that. Split your workshop into two different skill levels if it's needed. Yeah, it helps. It, obviously, it helps if you have another teacher there, like Void and I, where yeah. both of us were kind of splitting the, the chores. But I think that's a great idea. I've actually never really thought about telling people actually to leave and come back because I'm afraid maybe they won't. No, some, some, sometimes they don't show. But the thing is, if you start off too easy, the people who want to know the advanced stuff, they'll leave anyway. Yeah, so you need to get there. Okay, let's... I'll do that with my Vertex workshop tomorrow, actually. Yeah. Maybe just say, okay... People who want to know the really advanced stuff come back in half an hour. So let's quickly, because we've only got maybe 10 minutes to go here. So let's quickly let, look back up your notes here, because I saw some, saw some interesting stuff. Uh, future plan. No, no, it's something else here. Uh, where is it? First, first workshop, we did that one. Oh, yeah. Sorry. You get this. Bad workshop. Okay, here we go. This is stuff. Um, let's go. Largest workshop ever. Go. Largest workshop. I heard the MFP taught one on Three Diablos in Carvin that had like 600 people at I, the largest one I ever taught was about 100, 100 more, and I think it was at, like, Israel and EJC and Svenborg. Like, both times when I taught that workshop, it was 100 people. That's cool. It was what were you teaching? It was breakdancing, not balls. That's, that's how well my juggling skills are respected. Right? Well, this is a strange thing. Actually, at the, at the EJC in Carvan, I had, um, uh, you see pictures of it, and there's hundreds of hundreds. Probably, I'm not sure, I mean, this Three Diablo workshop was 600 people. It was like that level. It was like the whole gym was completely packed, and there was no way I could talk, about pe- to, talk to people individually. Thankfully... Um, I'd done the workshop quite a few times before, and I, it was sort of like a pattern. I knew the routines. I know when people were going to laugh, and I could just say, okay, everyone stand up and try this, and literally 500 people would stand up en masse, and they'd do the trick. And I said, okay, everyone stop, sit down, and everyone would sit down. And it was like doing a show. It was, uh, it was like the, 
you know, because it was so so in control. It was like hosting a show in a way, or doing a street show festival, because everyone was joining in, and that was that was a real thing. And as I said, two ball workshop. So it's not about doing like the big skills. I literally, I said, this is a workshop about a skill which most people don't even consider juggling. And it's really fun that time because anytime someone would drop, I would just say, um, "Why are you dropping? It's not even real juggling." Two balls and stuff. And the cool thing is, is that people still to this day come up to me and say that was a great workshop that I did, and and even to this day, like I say. Um, people like say that was one of the best workshop experiences I've had just because there were so many people and it was so like uh, quite influential at the same time I've been to other conventions and people have been teaching two ball workshops and they come up to me and said oh yeah I'm doing this because I learned stuff and it's a real good thing okay another your painful work painful juggling workshop yeah, yeah. that's great great stuff yeah that was loads of people mainly there were people watching there okay here's another one most workshops you've ever taught at one festival go uh, probably EJC Svenborg 8 uh, Israel, I did something like six, I think. I've done six or seven at both BJCs. I mean, I remember sometimes it gets pretty hectic. It, it's fun, and you meet a lot of people, and you meet people probably you wouldn't have met otherwise. But it's, it can be tough. You get tired. Yeah. I can't remember how many. Probably at, the, probably at an EJC, because I normally ta- teach a few workshops there. Uh, come on, let, let's do some something controversial. Worst bad workshop. Worst workshop ever. First of all, the worst one that you've ever taught that's gone really bad, if you've got a good story, and then the worst workshop you've ever attended. Uh, probably one of my, uh, I think, one of the first uh, multiplex workshops I taught. Not the one I'm currently doing, but like back in the day, a couple years ago, I tried to teach a similar workshop, but I didn't even have the skills. So I was missing. A, you, you don't want to be a teacher and then you present the material. And you drop. And, and it's painfully obvious that you haven't mastered the material. So how can you teach others if you haven't mastered the material? You're, I was barely familiar with it, so that went poor. And, and then... Another, I can think of another time, I think it was a Diablo workshop, where I wanted to teach a lot of high-level skills, and it was all, like, 10-year-olds who had just bought their first Circus 4-incher. And I'm just like, oh, okay, here we go. And that wasn't quite... I think my worst workshop ever is actually the times when I've put the workshop up and nobody's turned up, especially once when I was trying to do a combat workshop. And it's not the kind of thing you can teach one-on-one because you need other people to play combat against. Okay, so worst workshop ever. Actually, I'll start this one off. I don't think this is, this is bad, but I can't actually think of a really bad workshop that I've been to and stuck through all the way because that's a great thing at a juggling convention. You could just say, oh, excuse me, and leave. Or you could just say, oh, sorry, this is you know, not the kind of thing I was looking for, and, and leave. I've never actually been felt that bad about being at a workshop that I've had to stay at but um, so it's really strange to like the idea of a bad workshop but then again sometimes you've you've paid money and you want to stay there so anyway over to you Matt your worst workshop ever go for it probably my first IJ festival IJ 2000 Montreal uh, it was my first IJ fest so I wanted to get everything out of it that I could and I heard there was this master class workshop being taught by Albert Lucas uh, it was extra money you know you had to pay extra plus the festival fee it's like three hours on two days or three hours for three days and the first day... How much was it? Like $100? 100 200 somewhere around there. Like at least 125 I think. And we sat in there, and I'm like, wow, it's, it's the legend. I mean, this guy is a player. I mean, he's, his, his skills are... Yeah, 12 rings, 10 rings. His skills are unquestionable. He's a great performer. And he goes in and hands, us all, hands each of us a folder, like a kind of a, just a cardboard folder. And it's got flimsy, like, uh, transparency handouts in it. And all the tra- ham- handouts are pictures of him. There's no text. It's just pictures of him and his, and his business card. So it looks like it was really well organized and you're going to get all the notes and it was just promo, promo photos. It was just promo photos and his business card. He said, I consider each of one of you my students now and the card is in there so that you can call me personally and ask for help. And I said, okay, well, that's not bad. Okay, cool. And, and then he proceeded to talk for two and a half hours out of the three 
maybe about two and a half. And it was mainly just about himself and, and, and his achievements and such. And then for the half hour, he kind of stand up and do a, a little bit of a juggling uh, basic concepts like a demonstration basic concepts of movement he said all right stay under the stay under the pattern and he got us go up and moving a little bit towards the end I said all right that's okay and, and he came and when the next day I came back and I said all right here we go uh, let's see how it goes and he, and he even said yesterday we did a lot of talking today it's gonna be practice we did a lot of talking yeah we I, he was doing most of the talking uh, not question, nobody even asked questions people just were respectfully listening and then next day he said, all right, today we're going to really get down to business and do some physical work and juggle and break it down. He then proceeded to talk for two hours and 45 minutes. <laughs> and, and I had Butterfly Man right behind me, and Butterfly Man basically like threw away the, the folder and just left. I think on the first day, actually, I think it was. My wife, who was with me both days, she didn't even go back to the second day. She was like, I'm not going back the second day. I said, no, I'm going back. We paid money. This. I want to check it out. Then I went, and it ended up being that. And so I left because I had to teach a workshop. And I just walked So you out. never got to the end of the workshop? I don't think I ever got to the end of the workshop. I remember him helping me with one. Like, I remember going up to him saying, look, I have to leave now. I'm sorry I have to leave early, but I really wanted to ask your opinion on seven balls. Would you look at my seven balls and just give me one bit of advice, <laughs> just one nugget, please? And he did, and the advice he gave me worked. So I was even doubly frustrated because I was like, damn it, if we had actually been – Doing stuff all the time, maybe, you know, it would have been better. I mean, that's just my first memory, and, and I respect him and everything, but that is definitely my worst experience. Did you ever actually get out his business card and call him for more advice because you were his student? No, never. Oh, that's a real pity. So um, I guess on that downer, the show's going to start in a few minutes. Anything else that you've got here? I think we've been through most of the points, haven't we? Let's just quickly flick down through this. What's this? Most workshop. Yeah, we've done all of that, really, haven't we? Um, any, yeah, quick, quickly, let's uh, go for this. Future workshops you'd like to teach and also future workshops you'd like to take, Matt, just to finish us off here. Uh, two minutes. Workshops I'd like to teach. I'd like to get good enough with clubs to teach a good club workshop. I, th I could certainly offer some advice and skills to beginners or maybe even intermediate. So I would like to do that. Workshops I'd like to take, Anthony Gatto. I mean, he's got to know something, right? I mean, he's the guy. Maxim Kamaro, I missed his stuff at Israel. And I, the Gandini workshop I did was a five-day workshop, and Maxim was like guest teacher, so we had sort of like maybe half the day or a few days with him. Fantastic teacher. Oh, uh, yeah, his first workshop, he just comes out and says, right, we're going to do the three-ball cascade. And he proceeded to do literally three hours of workshop on the three-ball cascade variations. But never, no tricks, just three-ball cones. Yeah, it's just amazing. Amazing. Yeah, he's a monster, and I missed his stuff in Israel, and I want to I, I cry. The Gandinis, I, 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 caught a, I caught one of their workshops at Demento in 2002 or so, and they're mind-boggling. And as you said, Sean is a really passionate teacher. You've got to love a teacher with passion. And then Denis Pommier, I mean, there's a guy I'd really like to explore his brain. He's both creative and technical. Yeah, so uh, that's cool. Uh, my workshops I'd like to teach in the future i'm actually gonna i'm planning to do some workshops in berlin at home actually because uh, i've got enough space at home and i've got insurance to teach at, at my house in the juggling studio there i've got insurance to teach uh, and you know it's it works out that i'm allowed to have one day a week uh, 10 people there or something so what i'm looking to do is get like invite maybe four to six people along like not just four days in a row but like four days over three weekends or four weekends or something like that so and actually teach people about 
like putting together a routine, but not just a routine, but actually becoming an act, becoming a performer, and teaching about sort of the business side of juggling. It's only something I've been doing, I've been performing professionally for a few years and really successfully for the past year or so. But there's so much stuff, there's so many lessons that I've learned that I'd love to teach people because I see so many people get up on stage and try stuff out. And you can see the really simple mistakes. And you just think, no, if you did just done this, and it's literally just telling a few people. So I'd really like to get a few people together who are first starting out, putting together routines, coming up with stuff, and want to do it as a professional. Like, in the future and just go over a few weekends like one day um, a week for a few weeks or something and I think that's what I'd like to do that's my big goal for workshops for this year the thing is it's just finding the time to do that and, and it'll only be people who live in Berlin who can come along to do that you know because I'm not interested in doing a four day blitz and then leave people because I really like going along to a workshop learning something trying out for a few days and then going back again and I like the longer conventions where you can do that but to, to have like a week between each workshop and you can recap what you've done the week before and prepare prepare for stuff for the next week. I think that's the kind of thing that I'd love to do, actually. A bit more in-depth workshops spread out over a few weeks. So that's my big goal for workshops. Maybe I'll do that in the future. You know, it's been said that in, in almost every physical endeavor, there's teachers and coaches. They have coaches in every big sport. And yet in juggling, we don't have that as much. And yeah, the, the one thing I like about teaching workshops and, and learning from other people is that in juggling, anybody can be somebody else's teacher on pretty much any subject. That even that kid who maybe is not a, a big juggler or a well-known name, maybe he knows a trick that I don't know. He can teach me, and that's cool. And yeah, also, that. that's, I think that would be the thing to, to leave people with. If you want to teach workshops and if you want to go to workshops as well, always remember that everybody knows something that you don't. Juggling is such a wide subject. There's nothing there's nobody who knows everything about everything. So anybody that you talk to, they will know at least one thing that you don't about juggling. One trick, one idea, one concept, one like mistake. They'll spot a mistake that you can't see, or they'll, do, they'll see something about someone else's performance that you won't. So just remember that in juggling, anybody can learn something off of everybody. So that's the, that's the uh, message I'd leave it. So this has been inspirational, Matt. It's been great getting, getting, picking your brain about workshops, and it's been good hearing some fun stories and things like that. Anything else that you want to say, or is that it? Without question, I think it, it's great that we all share our skills yeah. because in other disciplines, maybe yeah. people are more, I guess, private yeah. or stingy. Yeah. And that's so not the case in the juggling world, and I think we all just need to keep... Uh, each other in mind when we teach our workshops. What you receive is a gift, give is a gift. Every tick I've learned from somebody, I try and pass it on in my workshop, and I give credit to that person who made it up or taught me. I want to show respect. you got to give what you get. Well, thanks a lot, Matt. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Actually, just one final thing. I just meant to say this. Don't do an hour-long workshop. Do a 45-minute workshop. So many studies have been done to see how long people can keep concentrating, and it's generally considered about 48 minutes or something. Or 45. About that. Yeah. Yeah. It's about, roughly about 48 minutes and 20 seconds or something. So really, do a 45-minute to 50-minute workshop instead of an hour-long workshop. You don't need to do that. You don't need to push it. That's the reason why football games, uh, soccer games, they're 45 minutes a half, and that's the reason why rugby games are 40 minutes a half and stuff. That's the, that's the natural length that people can keep concentrating for. So uh, anyway, Matt's really nervous. Are you first in the show tonight? In the first act. Oh, if I'd have known that, I would have uh, stopped more than three minutes before the show. So uh, well, I'm going to leave Matt. how I do later. <laughs> yeah, we'll, uh, we'll do another update later on. Anyway, thanks a lot, Matt. Uh, let's uh, see if we can stop this. Maybe I'll get a few more words from you uh, later on. There you go. I hope you like that. 
I really enjoyed that talk with uh, with Matt. I can't think I, at the time. I remembered like as soon as we pressed up, I remembered like three other things that I wanted to say about running a workshop, but I didn't write them down because we were in a hurry to get the show started and things like that. So uh, maybe I'll remember them and 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 write them up and put them online somewhere. Or maybe mention them in a future workshop, future podcast. Next podcast, I said I already had an idea of juggling in Rio. Um, if doesn't work out we'll do another podcast i'll record another podcast with polo when i get back to berlin not sure of the topic about that yet had some requests though uh, some people wanted me to talk about the british young juggler of the year show um i would do that but i think i'd want to talk to people who are in it so uh, if i get skype i'd like to to talk to uh, some of the contestants who've taken part in it over the few years and and get their thoughts about it and get some more thoughts about that from people in the uk Someone else asked, how do you count your juggling patterns and setting goals with juggling, which would be a good topic. Volley club is a topic we've been asked to do. And also, recently I got a message saying, I'd like to do a, a podcast topic about how to choreograph juggling to music or how to use music um, and juggle to music. So there are a few ideas. If you've got any uh, other ideas for future podcast topics, I'm, I'm always looking for them. And I think in what I'm going to do, because I really enjoyed doing this with Matt Hall, is uh, in the future I'd like to find like someone to talk things over who's also a, a big expert in that area. So uh, when I do a volley club podcast, it won't just be me and Pola talking about it like we did with the combat. Um, it'll be uh, it'll be me and uh, maybe Flo or Jochen from Berlin who are experts. They're sort of the world champions of volley club. So that's the kind of thing I'd like to do in the future. Otherwise, that's about it catch you next time next week whenever it's going to be polo will be along there oh and polo happy valentine's day um today i'll i'll call you in a few minutes bye <laughs>